Law Matters show wants you to hear from the source rather than a misleading soundbite, so you can decide for yourself. It's time we really listen to and support those who spend their lives protecting us. We want you to join us by leading the way and thanking them for their service and keeping this conversation going. Please help support the Law Matters 501c3 mission at lawmatters1030.org. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. I have, I think, our fire chief on the radio. Did he call in? Okay. We're going to hear from our fire chief, Chuck Ryan. He's going to remind us what we can and cannot do with fireworks over this holiday weekend. And can you hear me, Chief? I can. I can. How are you, Sherry? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well. Sorry, I'm a couple of minutes late. That's okay. That's okay. Remind me, what can we do and not do with fireworks? I know a lot of people, I see all these tents around town, people selling fireworks, and it's 120 degrees out, and they're selling fireworks. (laughs) What can people do with those? So the, the the law here in the city of Tucson, the, the city ordinance, and it's basically the same in Pima County and statewide in Arizona, is that any firework that leaves the ground, goes more than a couple of feet in the air, is not allowed in the state of Arizona. Permissible fireworks are the ones that are sold at those uh, tents you see in store parking lots and such. And there's only certain times a year those tents can operate, but those those fireworks are like sparklers and little uh, cones, you know, spinners on the ground, things like that. Those are those are fine, but anything that shoots into the air—bottle rockets, sky rockets, any of that stuff that uh, is sold and you bring into state from across a state border—is is against the law here in the state of Arizona. So, I know they're having the um, annual torching of a mountain. Is right. that <laughs> is that going to be on the fourth, or when are they doing it over the weekend? No, that's going to be actually on the 4th of July itself. Uh, the fireworks show will start at uh, at 9 p.m. Uh, from the top of a mountain. Okay, and I know all, all your people will be out there to put out the fire in case it happens, right? Yep, absolutely. A lot of prep work has taken place uh, in advance of the fireworks, uh, which did started to take place, buffalo grass uh, abatement, and then over the weekend between uh, us and Tucson Water, uh, we actually wet down the the fallout area for the fireworks. For, you know, we work closely with the company that uh, the professional pyrotechnics company. So we wet down that area, and then the night of the fireworks, our wildland team is actually out on the mountain. You can't see them because it's pitch black, of course, but they're out there, stationed in specific areas around the mountain in the fallout area, just in case something should spark up. Well, no wonder you've never lost a cactus. Well, not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I've I've seen people when I first moved here, and, and I couldn't believe I I saw. I've seen people celebrate by shooting guns in the air. Yeah, well, that's 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 crazy dangerous. Actually, <laughs> it's really really stupid. But you know, yeah. that's not allowed either, yeah. is it? No, no. Just just charging a firearm like that is is definitely not allowed, and and it does present a, a very serious danger. You know, not so much for the person actually discharging the firearm, but somebody downrange when that projectile comes down, it's coming down at some speed. And there have been people, you know, injured and killed in some cases with that. 
So uh, it's 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 really really dangerous, and and would really encourage people to not do that. Plus, ammunition is awfully expensive to just waste. So, <laughs> True that. <laughs> and drinking yeah. and driving, we don't want we don't want our fire our first responders out there mopping up the highway because you were drinking and driving and caused an accident. So don't yeah, do that absolutely. either. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that's one thing that uh, Police Chief uh, Kazmar and I are in lockstep on, and uh, we, we repeat this message as frequently as we can, is don't, you know, have, have a, if you're going to drink, have a designated driver or take a ride share or a taxi. Um, just or get it's not room. worth the risk. Yes. Or, or right, or that. Just stay, stay place, same place, right? One of, one of those three, but don't get behind the wheel. It's just, it's crazy dangerous, and, and it's not worth the risk. It certainly isn't. Well, I want you to have a happy 4th of July weekend. Thank you. You too as well. Celebrate your independence. It's, we have a great country and we have, we have much to celebrate about. Absolutely. And thank you for calling in and bringing us up to date on what's going on and what we what, tell us everything we can't do and go have fun. <laughs> I know. I hate to be the, the killjoy. Sorry. <laughs> so thank you and, and have a nice weekend. All right. Thanks, Sherry. You too. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. On the phone, we have Veronica Morales from ATF, and she's going to tell us about a program that ATF is very much responsible for. I think it was started in Phoenix, but uh, they took it over. Veronica, can you hear me? I can. Good morning, Sherry. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate this opportunity to talk about the great program. Yeah, let's uh, tell me everything because where did it originate? How did it get started? And whose idea? This is a great idea. Um, the great program, which is the Gang Resistance Education and Training Program, was actually started as a collaborative effort between the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, located in Phoenix, Arizona, and the Phoenix Police Department back in 1991. Um, the two units recognized the need for law enforcement and the community to gather together. Um, in a very positive environment, and they felt the best way to do it was to talk to the kids. Yeah, get them before before they go down that alley or down the rabbit hole. Absolutely. So tell me more about this program, and how has it expanded? How did it, you know, I know it started in Phoenix, but, you know, how did everybody else catch on? Is it an international program? It actually is. Now it is. Um, the GREAT is a youth and community outreach program, like I said, launched in 1991 to proactively combat violent crime. It has touched more than 5 million children in elementary and middle schools uh, between the ages of 7 to 13 years. So essentially, we started the program as a test pilot in Phoenix. Um, and over the years, it grew. We had several um directorates that supported it. Uh, we had direct funding from the Department of Treasury uh, initially. And when we went over to Department of Justice, the program, uh, the program transitioned from the ATF to uh, the Bureau of Justice um, Administration, BJA. BJA then contracted um, outside agencies to then overtake the training while ATF remained an instrumental role in expanding the program um, and making sure that our local partners had the resources they need to co continue the program in their jurisdiction. Um, we use educational tools to help students avoid gang-related activities and resist negative peer pressure. 
Um, and essentially our goal is to develop positive relationships with not only our community, but our partner agencies. Um, let's see. Based on past studies, actually students who graduated from the great program had more positive attitudes towards police, exhibited positive changes in efficacy, hitting, anger, and risk-seeking behaviors. ATF's mission has always been to protect our communities from violent crimes and the possession of illegal firearms. In this capacity, ATF is leveraging that mission and taking a more proactive role by getting in the classrooms and teaching the children the skills they need to prevent them from becoming violent criminals. We want to make sure that the kids that we interact with in the street become the adults that we don't have to arrest. Tell me about the training portion. You say they there's outside agencies that come in and do training. They're training the instructors or are they training the students? How does this work? So the, in order to be great certified, you must be a current member of law enforcement um, or a retired member of law enforcement. Now, this particular was established because the foundation of the great program is to establish the positive uh, relationships between law enforcement and the community. And the best part to do that is with children. We want children to come up to us and, and talk to us, engage in a conversation, and understand that we're there for them. So the Institute for Intergovernmental Research is actually the training component um, for, the AT, uh, for the great program. So they maintain the, the training elements. Uh, we recruit, ATF recruits um, other law enforcement members, so local municipalities, uh, tribal municipalities, and other federal agencies come to a training in person. It's a 40-hour in-person training. It's a 10-hour prerequisite that's com- completed online. Once you've completed that program um, and you have successfully there's testing involved, and there's actually a mock trial during the um, the course where, as a as the instructor, you teach your fellow classmates, and the in, the in-house instructor is actually um, talking to you about critiquing your your methodology and ensuring that you stay true to the program. Um, after that, you're qualified to then go out into the schools, teach middle school and elementary school students. Um, you're also qualified to apply for the family program, which is another component of the great curriculum. Um, the family component addresses the family unit, and it is, its goal is to make sure that members of families understand their role in supporting their child's growth and becoming a law-abiding citizen. The family program, that is... Okay, this is taught inside the schools, right? Everything is taught inside the schools. However, um, we do branch out into after-school programs. So long as we see the same group of kids consistently for either six weeks or 13 weeks, our elementary school program is once a week over six weeks, and our middle school program is once a week over 13 weeks. So this can be conducted at an after-school program, at a church program, Um, if you're a coach, uh, for a sporting environment, um, you can teach it during during some of your, your practices. So the program is an hour long, once a yeah. week. So it is. It is an hour long, once a week. And the okay. research has shown that having students engaged once a week was the best way to have them retain the information. Every class, we have an activity 
that bounces off the previous lesson. So we, we rediscuss the previous lessons um, so that we know that the children have maintained, uh, retained the information. And then we go on to the current lesson. At the end of that, we have a little skit that we do, um, reinforcing today's lesson, and we discuss the next lesson. And that goes on for either six weeks, as I said, in the elementary school portion, or 13 weeks um, in the middle school portion. Now, our middle school portion is very unique in that we have a community project that builds upon the great foundation. So we encourage the children to understand how important they are in our community and how their influence matters. They have a say, they should do the right thing, and this is how they can be a positive influence on the community. So the community-based projects are, what do you want your community to look like? What improvements should you have in your communities? And how would you bring that to light? So I worked with my uh, vice principal and principal prior to entering a school, and I asked them, what are the issues? What are your concerns? They'll present them to me. I talk to our kids about it during our, our class time together, and I encourage our children to use those ideas, use those concerns presented by the principal and vice principal in their community-based project. At the end, they present their project, so this encourages them to speak properly, um, to communicate using their body language, using their artistical skills, but most of all using their mind and expressing to, them, expressing to everyone else uh, how important they feel their idea is in the community. So if you have an instructor, somebody who is, is trained to do this, can they teach in multiple schools or in multiple, like you said, churches or little athletic groups? Can they go around and teach this in multiple places? Absolutely. Um, our instructors, the majority of them are school resource officers. Others are like myself, um, uh, special agents. I have um, an intelligence research specialist who's going to be certified this summer to teach, who is prior law enforcement. And the goal is to partner up in a school that needs this type of resource. And at this point, I think all schools need our resource. We teach children how to properly communicate. We teach children how to manage their anger, how to de-escalate a situation, manage peer pressure, how to set goals. Um, I think a lot of children just don't understand what it takes to accomplish a goal. And our goals are set, are attainable, they're realistic, and we teach the students the skills how to stay on track to attain their goals. We also teach them decision-making skills. And all of this can be done in a 40-minute time frame anywhere that's in a safe environment. So um, I've taught in summer camps. I've taught uh, in schools. And I'm looking to branch out into an, an athletic envi environment. What about the Boys and Girls Club? This sounds like a program that would be good for them. Ironically, um, we do have a partnership that was established in 1995 with the Boys and Girls Club. And our, this summer, we actually have a summer camp. It's, it's been going on for 20 years, actually, um, at the Glen Clove, Glen Clove um, Long Island Boys and Girls Club. Okay. So that's the only club? Do they have anything no, close? I, uh, we have, so it's wherever our SROs are able to establish that relationship. Um, I'm going to be teaching at the Newark uh, summer camp this year. I'll also be facilitating a summer camp in Baltimore and in Pennsylvania. Anywhere that 
there is a summer camp that will welcome a great instructor. I believe there, there is also a summer camp in Chicago um, that's supported by a local retired uh, Chicago police officer who teaches a great program during the, um, during the school year. But, yes, we do have a relationship with the Boys and Girls Club. It's just a matter of getting the resources out to the Boys and Girls Club. Now, do these resource officers, I'm, I'm calling them a resource officer, do these retired or current law enforcement officers get paid to do this? It is um, part of their duties. They accept the responsibility to do uh, to perform the task of being a great instructor. However, it can be absolutely voluntary. I plan to do this when I retire because I believe in the program. Um, so, yes, it, it's some resource officers have this as a part of their duties. Some resource officers don't, but they still do it. I know I volunteer my time to do it. How long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been fortunate to be doing this for about 18 months. However, I am a product of a very similar program back in the 80s. And the connection I made with that law enforcement officer in the South Bronx was tremendous. So when I obtained the opportunity to do this, I took advantage of it right away. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to not only become an instructor, but become the acting program manager for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Great program. So tell us a little bit about you. What's your background and how did you get involved with law enforcement? Well, um, I am actually part of 4% that shouldn't have been here. Um, I was uh, put into the foster care system at the age of three months old. I was subsequently adopted by the same woman who accepted me at three months um, in the South Bronx. And she became a single parent uh, and she struggled. She kept us in line through education. She felt education was key. While I was attending school in the Bronx, I met a local law enforcement officer from the 43rd Precinct who taught us a program, and she was amazing. I completely identified with her, and she made me feel that my voice mattered. So I knew right then and there that that's what I wanted to do, sitting in the fourth grade. Um, after that, I went into the Bureau of Prisons, where I interacted with actual gangbangers who terrorized the neighborhoods I grew up in. Um, from there, I became an intelligence analyst for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, and subsequently became a special agent investigating illegal firearms trafficking um, throughout the Northeast. I was a big sister um, for a little bit while I was in the New York Field Division, and when I came to Jersey, they presented me this opportunity. I have a secondary, um, I have a minor in secondary education, and this really touched base with me. So I embraced this opportunity, and I've taught the sixth grade of McKinley School, two sixth grade classes in McKinley School in Newark, New Jersey, and uh, a fourth grade class in um, McKinley School. That relationship with the Newark Police Division enabled me to branch out in Newark and train 16 local community resource officers, and school resource officers. As a result of that partnership, we graduated over 400 students on April 26th of this year. Wow. That's pretty significant. So where all these trainings that um, these officers have to have, there's, you know, 50 hours inclusive with the 10-hour pre-training Where do they get that training? 
Is it all anywhere across the country? Do they have to go to the East Coast? What do they do? So to, to be certified, you can reach out to the, um, it's the great website um, and contact the Institute for Intergovernmental Research. It's information at great.org, I believe, um, and ask them, hey, we're, when are you guys having another training? Um, we're, we're interested in, in bringing the training to us. They'll work with you on establishing a program in your area. So if you have a few municipalities that can gather up the funding to do this, then you're in luck. They'll, they'll come to you. In my case, um, I'm hosting a training in Houston where I'm going to have five Houston police officers trained up. I think um, one out of Bexar Police Department in Chicago and one, one constable from San Antonio, um, Texas, is also coming out to my training. So, When is that going to be? Um, that is August 7th through the 11th in Houston, Texas. Okay. Other trainings are available. Um, you have to constantly check their website. They'll have openings. If not, uh, what I've recommended, I attended the um, National Association Resource, uh, School Resource Officer Conference this week promoting the great program. And I advise locals who are also interested in the program to get with their district attorney's office, get with their uh, local council people, and get with the United States Attorney's Office to see what funding is available to host a training in their area. Um, once you acquire the funding, the trainers come out to you, and it's, it's actually an incredible experience. You learn how to communicate better, I believe, as a law enforcement officer. And by the end, people are very eager to get into those classrooms and, and help these students out. Yeah, and, and you're, you're reaching an age where the children are really impressionable. So, you know, you're getting them before they, like I said, before they go down the rabbit hole and they're in trouble. And now their whole life is based on a bad act. And it it does affect people. You can't just do things willy-nilly and, you know, get in trouble with law enforcement and expect to have all that go away when you turn 21. So I want to take a quick break right now. I, Veronica, I want you to stay with us because I have more questions, okay? Sure. Okay. On August 5th at the Burger Theater, located at 1200 West Speedway, starting at 10 a.m., Law Matters Live Radio Show is hosting a free double feature movie event on two very serious topics every parent needs to be aware of. We are making it free because we want to see you there. Bring your friends, get out of the heat, and learn what dangers today's kids are facing and how you can help them avoid becoming a victim. Details on the event page on lawmatters1030.org website. See you there. This is Deputy Chuke with Pima County Search and Rescue, telling you again to remember that the ground heat on your pet's feet is very dangerous. The bleeding blisters that will occur is considered animal abuse. You can get arrested for this. So think before you bring Fido on a hike. This is Deputy Chuke with Pima County Search and Rescue. Save your phone's battery life so when you get lost, we may contact you. Wearing bright colors that can be seen from a distance helps the effort. This is a rescue, not a scavenger hunt. Deputy Chuke here with Pima County Search and Rescue. If you're thinking of a trek through nature, plan ahead, look ahead, and use your head. Your future depends on it. 
This is Deputy Chuke with Pima County Search and Rescue, reminding you that infants and toddlers do not experience heat as adults do. Consider this when bringing your young ones on a hike in temperatures of over 80 degrees. You do not want to risk that child having heat stroke or being arrested for child endangerment. On August 5th at the Burger Theater, located at 1200 West Speedway, starting at 10 a.m., Law Matters Live Radio Show is hosting a free double feature movie event on two very serious topics every parent needs to be aware of. We are making it free because we want to see you there. Bring your friends, get out of the heat, and learn what dangers today's kids are facing and how you can help them avoid becoming a victim. Details on the event page on lawmatters1030.org website. See you there. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest today is, is Veronica, uh, Veronica Morales, excuse me, and she's with ATF. And we're talking about the GREAT program. And I'm wondering, what does it cost to train these officers? Because it, it seems like that might be a huge block <laughs> with uh, <laughs> the lack of resources. And we, we don't have a lot of officers. We're, you know, down manpower. What does it cost to send an officer to training? Well, that's that's something that uh, that has to be discussed. Unfortunately, with the Institute for Intergovernmental Research, uh, they hold the um, invoicing for the Great Program. Uh, once that once you're trained up, however, it doesn't cost anything to implement the program in schools. Everything is online. You can either as a certified great instructor, obtain the PDF of the book, or you can get access to their online web portal. ATF, um, I'm sorry, ATF program leaders are seeking financial support currently from the United States Department of Justice for our own program uh, so that we can continue to serve our youth. So we are actually all in the same boat. Um, I've suggested, like I said before, that local municipalities reach out to their United States Attorney's Office, ask for PSN money, Project Safe Neighborhood uh, grants. I know that there's a um, a community violent initiative grant that's out there. And a lot of these grants are geared towards this type of instruction, supporting the locals so that they can get into the schools and create that positive uh, relationship with their community. So if you're are funding this program or training for this program, it's under a 501c3? Oh, I, I I'm sorry, I don't I don't know. Okay. Cuz I'm I'm thinking if if it's a 501c3 that would make it a lot easier to get a grant to try to fund the training so you can have a program like this. It sounds like an amazing program and I think, you know, like you said, every school should have it. Do you have any um stories that you can tell us about kids who've been through the program? Um, you know what? I do. So I have a positive story and one that didn't go so well. Uh, <laughs> I'll start with the one that didn't go so well because it just shows um, it, it is what it is. I, and I like this story simply because it put our teachers out on alert for things that they hadn't been aware about before. And thanks to the partnership between ATF and my school, um, they were able to identify a situation and address it before it caused any issue and concern. Uh, there was a student who was believed to be associating with uh, unfavorables, lack of a better term, and he was very good in school. Um, he said in my class, was absolutely respectful. He didn't engage too much. And as an instructor, you have to recognize that not every student's going to engage. 
not every student's going to be positive. But for the one, you've got 20 that are going to engage. And I, I refer to that student as my why. So he is the reason why I keep going. He is the reason because one day I'm going to reach out to him. Um, it, it turned well, but he threw up a gang sign and a picture because he thought it was funny. And so they took a, a group photo and threw up that gang sign. <laughs> the principal reaches out to me and said, okay, we, we need to have a conversation with him. Um, and it just comes, he didn't realize that that form of communication could put him in danger. So the goal with him was to go over the programming uh, once again and just reiterate how important he is to our community. Um, but if it wasn't for the fact that the, that the principal caught that little action, um, and it wasn't for the fact that she had my number to call me and say, hey, we think this might be an issue, um, we wouldn't have been able to address it, and he might be in a little bit more of a dire situation. A positive occurred in one of my classes where a student who normally didn't speak and had a very disgruntled attitude towards a, a, a lot of uh, teachers, specifically women, um, so I had the double, right, I had the double thing going in there, being a female <laughs> officer, um, had an outburst in my class, just didn't want to hear anything that I had to say. And we were talking about anger management and communication, which is something that we absolutely focus on both elementary school level and the middle school level. This happens to be a middle school student going through some things that I wasn't aware of. I had an SRO. Um, Officer Smith from the Newark Police Department uh, in my class, and she was, this is not okay. And I said, nope, let him, let him speak. And the class was just kind of staring at me, wondering, why are you letting him be so disrespectful? And I said, look, he's got to talk. He needs someone to talk to. Right. And it's all about how I react to his behavior. The great program emphasizes the child's ability to control their environment. And the other kids in the class weren't, weren't engaging. They weren't getting, they weren't jumping on his tail. They weren't yelling at me in this situation. They were all managing their own behavior. And I take that as a testament to what we had just discussed. How do you handle a situation where someone's having a moment? I, I refer to those situations as they're just having a moment. You sit back, you let them have their moment. Yes. And you breathe yourself through so that you don't get angry as well. I didn't get angry. I let him speak out. Officer Smith engaged because she knew him a little bit better than I did. And it was through that partnership that we were able to pull him aside without making spectacle in class, talk to him afterwards. And it just turned out he had had a rough morning. The next session, I went to class. He was sitting there. He was fine. We were good. And we talked about it as a class. And we went over the importance of communication and controlling our anger in those situations. And we talked about this is going to happen to you in the street, whether it be by a gangbanger, whether it be by mom or dad, whether it be some person who's on drugs and doesn't know that you're not who they think they are, right? How do you handle that situation? The first thing we talk about is let's breathe it through. We talk about our goals. My goal is to teach the class. How do I teach the class? I get through this moment. I made sure that you get through this moment. And together, we were great. We moved on. He wound up being one of the sweetest kids in the class. Um, and he didn't have another outburst like that again. And we just think he needed to, to have that moment to, to yell, to speak, for someone to actually hear what he had to say. And we did. None of the kids made fun of him afterwards. I think they actually felt a little bit better communicating. Um, 
I, I, one more positive story before I before we move on. Our community class project uh, in my first sixth grade class at McKinley School, some of the girls felt that they wanted a a big sister kind of program in the school, someone that they could talk to, a mentorship program, because they felt that they had no one to talk to or the resources weren't there. And when they presented their, their program, some of the boys popped up. They're like, why can't we have the same thing? And the open discussion between the two groups would have never have happened had we not had that community project. I presented the project to the, the school administrators and they actually took it into consideration for future programming. If it's not for this type of class where we're not only giving instructions to students and teachers do an incredible job of, of that every day, um, but they can address every issue. The great program gives us this opportunity to have the one-on-one -on -one with students, to empower them, to give them the resources they need to be successful. The boys spoke out, the girls spoke out, they had a powwow about it, and we came to understanding maybe there should be a resource group that addresses both girls and boys separately so that they had someone to go to. That, that's smart. Yeah. How many kids are usually in a class or does it matter? Um, it's, it's, we try not to have multiple classes fit in one session. So if there's, let's say, four fourth grade classes, um, it's great that there's 25, let's say, in each class. So I can teach 100 students in a day, but I would never teach 100 students at one time. If you just can't make that type of connection. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's more of a, a, a smaller group, maybe 10, 15 kids would be a, a good amount of kids to listen well, to something like this. Actually, um, Sherry, it would, whatever a class size is for that school, there are a lot of schools that have 20 to 30 students in a classroom. Wow. Great instructors are never in a classroom by themselves. They're, you have to have a teacher or a member of school staff in the room with you. And it's so you're not there by yourself with thirty kids. Never. Absolutely not. Um, I would leave. <laughs> we encourage uh, school resource officers, so I can attend one of my uh, SROs classes, and we can bounce off each other during during the class, so that whoever has whoever winds up getting the rapport with the students will lead the class, and the other one can just provide support. Um, and maybe that'll work one day. And the next day I come, my SROs lead in the, the class. It's all about collaboration, but you're never in there by yourself. Um, and, and there's, there's just a lot, of, a lot of reasons behind that. So how, many, how did you get your training? Where did you go? It sounds like you have to, like, I, I learned that the training is going to be up in Scottsdale for Arizona. And I thought they did yeah. training in every state, but apparently you, you travel all over the place. Right. So um, the training is wherever wherever the local municipality can host it. So there should be a training occurring pretty soon in Atlanta. Um, I believe that wasn't posted because it, the class got filled up by locals really, really quick. Uh, but if you reach out to the great, found, uh, the great organization via the website and you express an interest, and you say, hey, can you tell me if there are other municipalities in my local area that are also interested in having the program? They'll definitely let you know. And you can collaborate with those local municipalities and bring the training to you. 
flying out to a training can be very costly. Um, for you, you think travel and lodging expenses by themselves, but if you can get with four other school districts, let's say, or four other police departments locally, have it at, at one of your academies, that would greatly reduce the amount of money you're spending just on travel and lodging alone. So if we have, this is Southern Arizona, I understand that something's going up in the uh, Phoenix area, and the person I spoke with said they're trying to send the program back to Phoenix, make Phoenix the headquarters. Is that true? I I don't know anything. Oh, okay. The person I spoke to was in Florida, and I was trying to get as much information as I could about the program and, you know, the do's and don'ts, the ups and downs. And he said, well, we're in the process of sending it back to Phoenix. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because the head's right up the road. Unfortunately, this is the first I've ever heard of it. Um, like I said, the training component of it does it is coordinated by the Institute for, for Intergovernmental Research. Um, but ATF, as a co-founder of the GREAT program, has played a significant role in the development, promotion, and expanding the expansion of the GREAT program. We will continue to play a role simply because... We believe in program, and we want our communities to know that our partnerships aren't just criminal enforcement. Our partnership is crime prevention, and we're going to leverage them, and we're going to get into the schools and let the students know. I mean, they are the, they are the most important part of our communities, hands down, and they need to understand the federal government, specifically the ATF, is interested in their future. We want to make sure that they are not the people that we arrest. And we have to give them the resources. And how do you do that? You teach them. Who keeps track of the statistics on the, you know, success of the program? Um, So there is a a link on the portal um, to submit success stories to the great organization. Um, I believe that IIR is are the people that that maintain that they are the people that maintain uh, book orders and or solicitations for for interest in the in the local areas um it's also one of the reasons why i was able to bring the training to houston um our goal as as the atf is to utilize the remaining funds that we have to bring the program to various cities um along with whatever ATF agents are, are in that city. At the end of the day, we want our agents, our prior law enforcement, uh, I'm sorry, retired law enforcement civilian employees to partner with local municipalities and get into the schools. So our remaining funds um, are geared towards putting on the programming. So I'm, I'm paying for the Houston training and we are trying to establish a family training program sometime in the fall, if I can get it up and running. But you have to be certified to teach the elementary and the uh, middle school program in order to implement the, the family program. So, Tell me about the family but, program. What does that entail? The family program is a six-course um, program where the instructor goes over various activities, uh, with members of smaller family units, um, 
it, we're not sitting in a room of 40 people. We There are families identified, I guess, by, I'm not certified in it just yet, but uh, my research has indicated that families are picked up based on need. Um, it, and it usually helps if the student is a graduate of the GREAT program so that the lessons learned during the GREAT program are then supported at home. We teach the families their role within the family unit, not to identify a mom or dad or the sister and what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do, but just understanding the role of respect. You know, if everyone's got a role. So my role as a child is to bring home the best grades that I can, to behave. Um, a parent's role is to provide guidance in a nurturing environment and keep my child safe and support their growth so that they can become law-abiding citizens and give back to their community. So you said it's a six course. Is that, you mean six weeks? Um, yeah. So you would do it over six weeks. It's an hour, an hour a week? Yes, it is. Okay. So there's, there's fun activities um, in my class. When I, when I do the, the great program afterwards, once we're done with the lesson, we'll, we'll play a game of charades and I'll use the premises of the lesson in the charades game. Charades is all about communication. Um, something else I've implemented while participating in the Philadelphia camp was self-defense. So saying it like you mean it is the name of one of our middle school lessons. And we'll engage in a bunch of push-ups. So kids, come on, let's do some push-ups. <laughs> And they stare at you like, no, I don't want to do any push-ups. But <laughs> they'll get down and they'll do some push-ups and you hear them struggling. And you're like, all right, come on, we've got this. Now, if someone hugs you really, really tight, what are you going to do? Well, where are your hands? So it's in the push-up position. I said, all right, so push them out. And it gets their mind thinking. And what are you screaming as you're pushing this person off you? Stop. I don't like it. What's the tone of your voice? Isn't this something that we just discussed in class? Oh, that's right. My tone's got to match my body language. And yeah. someone's going to hear me, and they're going to give me the help I need to get out of this nasty situation. I said, exactly. Yeah, that sounds, it sounds like there's a lot of little life-learning lessons in what you're teaching, and that's pretty cool. I, I was also told, because I asked can retired law enforcement be a part of this program as a volunteer thing, and I was told no, but I'm hearing you say yes. You can as long be as you're sworn law enforcement, so sworn in the capacity of you were at one point able to enforce law, arrest powers. Right. Remember, the premise initially started with having that law enforcement officer in the class to make the connection with children. And where children can be comfortable in their presence. So retired law enforcement who at one point in their career retired from an organization where they enforced law, where they had arrest powers. So a fire inspector who conducts criminal investigations and has, uh, and has arrest powers, um, who's retired, can definitely teach this program. Um, a retired district attorney or a retired United States attorney um, can also teach this program. Okay, so it's, it's grown. And I know the program, when it originally started, how many years ago in 91? Or actually 91. before that, wasn't it? Because you took, nope. ATF took over in 91, right? No, the collaboration started in 1991. Okay. ATF didn't take over for several years. Um, 
And when we were under, so I think we took over in about 95. Don't quote me on that one, though. Um, There's going to be a quiz. Kept it, I know, right? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but we did take it over. Uh, and we maintained our partnership because this program doesn't work without partnerships. It's, it's 100% based on partnerships. Um, we, we branched out. United States Marshals used to teach this. Uh, military used to teach this program. I think the United States Air Force bases used to have it at their schools at one point. And when we were directly funded by the Department of Treasury, um, we were able to do that. Now, Department of Justice took over, and that programming aspect was just realigned with, with another organization. So ATF still has a stake in the game. We are still avidly committed to our communities, and we're still teaching the great program. We should have about, um, I want to say, 16 16 or 15 new ATF uh, instructors at, by the end of our, our session in, in August. Oh, very cool. The program itself, I mean, times have changed. Has the program evolved with the change in times? Because what was needed in, in 91 isn't necessarily what's needed now. The program has gone undergone several revisions between 1991 to now. Uh, we're starting with a book that was about an 8 by 10 size pamphlet. I think it was about 15 to 20 pages in black and white uh, to a 18-page color book. I hate to say it that way, but like just right off the bat, looking at it, it, it's changed. The materials within it have changed. There is always room for improvement, um, and that's where funding is desperately needed to bring the program up to speed. However, the fundamentals are still very important, and there are avenues within the lessons that allow us to explore other areas of concern. And that's where that conversation between law enforcement and the principal takes place, or law enforcement and the teachers takes place. So that when I walk into a, a classroom, I understand the unique needs of that particular classroom. My last fourth grade teacher told me that the boys in my class had a had an issue with law enforcement overall. And when I made my introduction, um, before we even started class, I talked to them about law enforcement and I asked them flat out, what are your feelings? And they told me, oh, police are here to do A, B, and C. And I said, okay, well, I'm gonna prove you wrong. And by the end of our six weeks together, we're gonna have this conversation again. And it was giving them the ability to speak about their interactions or things that they've seen or their media influences. Um, and then being in the classroom and proving everything wrong. I proved every one of their sentiments absolutely wrong. Because not only did they know my name, they knew I cared. And they felt like I gave them a skill that they could use outside of the classroom. I was told, we don't communicate that way, Agent Morales. <laughs> well, we're going to do it now. And we did. Are you having a bad day? Yes. Is it about me? No. All right. Let's keep moving. Because I know that you're angry and you're going to stay quiet today. And that's how you're going to handle your anger. Are you going to breathe through it? Can we talk about it later? Absolutely. But before that conversation took place, kids just, they, they just shut down. They have this misnomer that being angry is wrong. Um, and throughout the great program, we teach them being angry 
is an emotion. And we have tons of emotions. It's how we deal with our anger. The great program gives the students the resources to deal with anger so that they don't hurt themselves and they, they don't hurt others. Um, it plays into communication as well. But like I said, that conversation takes place before I enter a classroom. I give an opportunity, and I, and I know a lot of my instructors, a lot of my mentors absolutely give the children the opportunity to talk to them. And then there are some open-ended questions that we have during, throughout our lessons where I can talk about firearms and firearm safety. And the question is always, how many people have you shot? And I talk to them about, we don't, we're not out there to shoot people, yeah. right? But, and they're cute, you know, they're, they have this, this innocence about them. And even the kids that, that have been through things, they appreciate the opportunity to freely talk. Um, the end of our program always ends with a program called Life in the Middle. And it's questions based on real-life scenarios, and how would the student, now knowing what they know, based on the lesson we had today, how would they react to this type of environment? And I still get that I'll get a gun and shoot them. I'm like, okay, let's talk about that. All right? <laughs> what, what, what's the end result of getting a gun and shooting somebody? Because it's okay. Like, look, if you're going to have a negative thought, it's okay. We have negative thoughts all the time. But let's talk about the long term. And... A lot of people don't have the opportunity to give children the time to talk about the long term. All right, so what, so you shoot them, and then what happens to their family? Their family's t- their family's tired. Their family is sad. Their family probably lost a person who was bringing in their their income. And what happens to your family? Your friends have no longer have a friend, right? Your your mom and dad don't have anyone at home. Your grandma doesn't have their grandbaby in the house because now you have to go to jail, right? And what's going to happen to you in jail? There's no video game playing in jail for a certain, for a certain period. There's no life in jail. Is it worth it? And when you walk them through that decision-making process, they realize that that initial instinct to take out a gun and shoot someone is going to ruin so many lives. I don't disagree with them when they say these type of things, but I bring them to a point using the great lessons where they understand why this isn't the best way to go. This is not what we should be thinking. We should be thinking, it's okay for me to be angry, but I have goals. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to go talk to somebody, and I'm going to calm down. And then I'm going to address the issue later when I have a clear ahead, because if I do something detrimental right now, I won't ever reach my goals. Yeah, you don't want to have a knee-jerk reaction to something that's petty, and then you pay for it for the rest of your life. And exactly. I, those are great skills to teach the youth today, especially today, because it just seems like attitude towards law enforcement has diminished considerably in the last several years, and we need to gain that respect back. We need to teach our kids, our youth, that, you know, we're here to protect you. That's what we do. And we're not here to, you know, make your life miserable. So I, I appreciate what you're doing with this program. And I'm glad that it kind of evolves because what happens on the East Coast or in, in you know, Chicago may not be what's needed here in Arizona. So the fact that it's 
basically the same program, but it's flexible, and you grow with each community. That makes a lot of sense. It is, and our, our summer program works the same way. We base our summer program, and our summer program is essentially a modified version of the school program. We work with the guidance counselors um, and who, essentially it's the guidance counselors and directors to understand the dynamic of the children coming in. And then we implement lessons that would best benefit those children. So if, by the grace of God, we have <laughs> an opportunity to teach children who don't happen to have anger management issues, but they will not look you in the eye when they talk, they don't have any really good communication skills, we'll focus more on the communication skills. Um, and we'll focus more on the decision-making skills. Why won't you look at me when I talk to you? Or, hey, shake your hand. Put your hand out there. Come stand tall when you walk into a room. Be proud of who you are. Make decisions that make you proud of who you are. And if you make a mistake, it's okay. You have resources that will help you get back. Um, that's hugely identified in my, um, my elementary school program. We have a, a five-person identification sheet, and it's, it's a drawn hand without giving out too much. And you just identify, who are my five go-to people that I can always trust? And it might not be a teacher. Or, you know, it might be their best friend. And then we sit there and go, okay, does your best friend always make great decisions? They do? Okay, awesome. That's the person you want to go for. Yeah. It it is an incredible program. That sounds awesome. And if you have an organization around, you know, locally that doesn't have the resources, how can they, can they just fundraise until they get the amount to get an officer trained? Do you have to have a group of officers or can it be just one person going to class? How does that work? So a minimum, according to the great um, website, a minimum of class is 16 people. However, with the resources needed to get the instructors, um, the supplies, and the online access, you really want a minimum class to be 24 people. And if you want, if you can bring it up to 48, great. I've, I've heard that there's a class that's going to be somewhere in the 60s. 60, 60 students, that's, I'm, it, that's just exciting to me. Um, but we're, get with, get with your local council people. Get with um, the grants page on the, Department of, uh, on the Department of Justice website. There are grants that great qualifies for, um, but you have to apply to them. Uh, I, I said ATF management, we're working to get our grants um, refunded for the upcoming years, and I'm doing everything that I can to promote this program. Thank you for taking me uh, for having me on your show. I think that a lot of people have lost sight of the fact that police not only need to be in a classroom, and it's not about having a game problem. Um, I, just, I wanted to throw that in there real quick because it was brought up to my attention, hey, we don't have a game problem. And I said, you have a school with children, am I correct? And they said, yeah, I said, you have a communication problem. Okay, I want to... Great will help you. I think it will. It sounds like a fabulous program. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. I want to remind everybody that August 5th, we have a double... Uh, feature movie for free where can you get that anywhere else a free double feature we want everybody to be at the burger theater and next week we'll have uh, cochise county sheriff mark daniels on the voice of tucson trusted local news and talk a bustos media station